Hello and welcome to B2B Better. My name is Jason Bradwell, and on each episode, I talk about how companies can use marketing to navigate big moments of change. Whether this is gearing up for a new funding round, launching a new product, pivoting in response to market trends, or sitting on either side of an acquisition, I break down modern-day B2B marketing strategies into actionable advice with guests who've seen it all before. Let me help you be better than boring. Let's go. Today on B2B Better, I'm very excited to be joined by Sarah Ott, Head of Community Experience at Hound. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited to have you on. We've been trying to get this episode recorded for a long time, but we were just talking before we started recording. We've had two big house moves over the last couple of months. How's it been for you? You know, I'm glad it's done. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> it's a, a pretty monumental task. I actually find it I found my house move probably more challenging than anything I've done professionally in the last 12 months. It was just monumental. Oh, totally. And all of the organizing that goes into it, it's like way harder than running a B2B business, honestly. <laughs> exactly. We're in the, we're in the wrong track. Yeah. Yeah, CEOs, you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about you and what you do at Hound. So yeah, I started my tech career five or six years ago. I actually started as a support rep and ended up building that team up to eight people. And then I moved over to customer success management where I held a revenue book of 3 million working with Fortune 500 companies at the ripe age of 24, which was honestly so scary. Um, And then I made the switch to marketing. But at that company, it was a really sales heavy focus. So I ended up doing a lot more of customer marketing as opposed to what you may think of the traditional demand gen, lead gen type stuff. And I fell in love with community from there. I was helping build up our little customer community, doing case studies and different things like that. And I knew that's what I really wanted my next move to be. And that's what I wanted to really start building my career in. So I started joining a bunch of community Slack groups, got in touch with Comsor, became really good friends with Mac and the team over there. And then I actually got recruited by my current company. Um, So our CEO, Andrew, found me and posited it as like a consulting little on the side freelance thing. And then told me he had an ulterior motive last fall that I quit my job and started at Hound full-time November 1st and have been here since. At Hound, I am an employee number one with a team of four founders around me. And I lead basically, we call it community experience, but I'm doing a lot of marketing in the community space. So whether that looks like creating content, creating social media content, running traditional community type uh, motions, as well as doing obviously some more of that digital marketing that I also, you know, am just the only one with on the team with the skills for it right now. So yeah, pretty much just a mixed bag. I was just going to ask, are you still the only kind of marketing slash community hire within the organization or, or have you grown? For now. Since, for now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we do have a hiring plan for a couple of other people on my team and on the sales team that just is dependent on doing our seed round because currently we're still technically pre-seed. So we're currently raising our seed round. And once that happens, we do have some hires on the books, which will be exciting. That's really exciting. Absolutely. And where did the, you said that you were recruited online. What, where specifically did the founder find you? On LinkedIn. And it was actually my previous company and my previous boss. She was amazing. I cannot speak 
as any person as I do her, but she really pushed me to get out outside of kind of my bubble, start learning, start posting a little bit more. She was like, you have a really good voice. I would love for you to get out there a little bit more, start posting on LinkedIn, start joining meetups and doing a lot of that stuff. And I really didn't start that until 2020. Mm. And he reached out to me in 2020 and then we started talking from there. Yeah. Yeah, That's awesome. And what does the company do specifically? Yeah. So for Hound specifically, we are a an employee experience platform is what we would like to put it specifically for veterinary medicine in the United States. So think of your veterinary, your local veterinarian that you go to all the way up to big, huge consolidators like or big groups that we think of like VCA, Banfield, some of those big players. In terms of what Hound started as, I think it's a really personal thing for our whole team. Our founder started his career in veterinary practices on the ground floor as a technician, moved his way up to be the director of operations of a four practice group in Austin, Texas. And I'll also probably likely refer to veterinary as vet med, vet med, veterinary medicine. That is just like a colloquial term. So if I do say that, that's what I'm talking about. But he's worked in the field for the last 10 plus years and something that he saw consistently and I've seen personally from my sister being working in veterinary practices is that honestly, it's super hard to hire and retain great people and build those great employee experiences in vet med. For us in tech, it's nothing new, right? Like we're obsessed with building company culture and making that better. But I often see and have seen since I started working here that VetMed is about five to 10 years behind all of these trends that we see in tech. And that's similar to human healthcare, right? They have like archaic systems that don't really work and you get like the 90s interfaces of stuff. Like they often get bogged down by a lot of that stuff in a way that we don't. So we have more time to focus on company culture and different things like that. So yeah, it became a little idea in his head for the last couple of years and it blossomed into a full-blown startup in the fall of 2021. Right now we have one product in market. That's our job search and recruiting platform um, that we've launched in 20 cities in the US now. It's a job board specifically designed by and for VetMed, which includes features like pay transparency. Everyone, every single job posting has to have pay full stop. It's a required field. Matching with employers so you can match and there's an algorithm there to match with potential employers and potential candidates for those employers, as well as some gamification that includes rewards, cash rewards. We are actually going within the next year or so do a dream vacation raffle as well with some of those points. So just a lot of more fun things and infusing a lot of that into uh, the veterinary space that doesn't really have a whole lot of that. That's really cool. You've segued nicely into my next question, which is why such an emphasis on community? There are 101 different tactics and channels that Hound and its founders could have chosen to get in front of their target customers. And you said it yourself, the industry is five, 10 years behind perhaps what we see in other tech sectors. What what led them to choosing this new trend, accepted trend within the B2B marketing community as their channel of focus? Yeah, I think honestly, like in vet med, we are strictly in like webinar and cold calling land still over Mm -hmm. here. And I think for us in the tech industry, we're like at our computers every day. It doesn't bug us that much. We make jokes about it on Twitter and we just go on with our day. But for veterinary people, that's really disruptive. You're like calling into their practice while they're dealing with 20 people in the lobby. And they're like, bro, I don't know about yourself. Like, I don't care. And I think 
meeting those people more where they are was really important for us and treating those people like people. I think a lot of times when we think about veterinary, we think about like pets and that's like the fun, cute thing to do, right? Like we want to be a pet startup where we get to deal with pets and pet owners and all of these things. And the people of VetMed themselves, those technicians, those receptionists often get left out of that conversation in a way that we didn't want to do. And that's why we really wanted to start and focus so specifically all of our messaging and everything is around the people of VetMed and how they deserve to be lifted up, to have that better experience, to get paid what they're worth, to get the benefits that they deserve. And what better way to do that than bringing them into the conversation and actually letting them talk for themselves and show what they want and build this thing together. And the other thing is tech companies, a lot of times will come into these other industries and be like, this worked for a different industry. So I'm just going to copy paste and not listen to you at all and just keep going. And people see right through that. Yeah, cool. Tech bro, Mark Zuckerberg, calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Like, That's a vibe in veterinary. They're like, cool, I get it, but you don't know anything about my experience or what I'm going through. And I think bringing that back down to a human level for them makes it much more approachable and much easier to want us to win as opposed to going and cold calling them and being like, my software has helped a million different industries. Like they just don't care about that kind of stuff in a way that I think tech often does a little bit more. Yeah. The, you mentioned that your sister works in this industry, which I imagine was a huge help when you joined the organization and you were trying to get to grips with understanding who the target buyer was going to be. What else did you do to really immerse yourself in that community that was ready to be connected by a company like Hound? Yeah. One of the very first things I did was start interviewing and just talking to a lot of the people that either followed us on LinkedIn or followed us on Instagram, excuse me, or were part of our Slack community that we had, like straight up getting on like one-on-one calls with them, just like asking what they were annoyed by. And the other thing is in our veterinary has a very big Instagram presence for whatever reason, Mm. like Vetstagram is a thing. (laughs) So I just started on the Hound account following a ton of these people and just like honestly taking a couple of hours out of my day just scrolling. And that sounds like bad, but it honestly helped me so much understand the language a bit more, like things that are funny to them, like memes that do really well and different things to really understand like what some of this language is to be able, because I'm never going to be able to be like, I, I couldn't even make up a veterinary medical word. Like I just can't even do, I have no idea. But I do know the jokes around some of the stuff and like how every single time a dog comes in for an emergency, the owners are like, can you also clip their nails? (laughs) (laughs) Like anytime a dog gets put under anesthesia, any single time, like it's a big running joke in veterinary that they're like, can you also trim their nails? Maybe it's so funny you say that because we've got our two cats going in for jabs next week. And their nails are horrific. And we are planning to ask them. Oh, you absolutely should. Yeah. Because one of them is like ferocious. And if I try and clip her nails myself, she will take an eye. So I'm just going to be like, you're the professional. And you're you're already pissing her off because you're jabbing her with a needle. Just clip the nails while you're at it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And she's unconscious. It's totally fine. She'll just wake up and be like, excuse me. I look (laughs) amazing. B2B buying behavior is changing so rapidly. You look back 5, 10, 15 years ago, the way in which 
buyers could get access to information was pretty limited. Maybe they would go to a trade show and visit a couple of booths. Maybe they'd look at a trade magazine, they'd read an article about a company they may want to work with, but ultimately they would end up in the same place pretty quickly, which is talking to someone in sales. Um, now, buyers can access information across from, from 100 different channels. They can read content, they can get referrals from people they've never met before on the other side of the world. They can follow executives on social media. And of course, they can also take part in community. Why do you think that community building for startups is a good hedge for businesses in the face of this massive shift in how buyers buy products? Totally. We hear it on maybe everything we read about buyer behavior right now, but they not only want all of that information, they want to be in control of how they talk to people, of how they engage with that company and what that looks like. So what better way to give them control than let them learn from others and at their own pace. And that often is what community starts is those conversations, or you see it in Slack communities for different marketers and different things all the time. Somebody will ask, Hey, have you guys solved this? They'll bring as someone will bring up a company. I then go look at their profile and it's totally someone from the company or like somebody that's obviously a customer. And that's where a lot of the conversions are happening now, which is funny. And even if it's just like little referrals and little things that you don't necessarily put it as a referral program, word of mouth has come back around and been one of the big forefronts of how people buy in B2B now. Um, I also think another thing is it transcends platforms. So we always talk about, and we always worry as marketers of, oh, Google ads changed the algorithm. So now I have to go change all my ads and that's going to be expensive. Or Instagram has started punting static posts. So now I have to go change my entire social thing. And this is something, obviously I still deal with that day to day, but I also have the backup of knowing that I have an entire community of people that care about our product, know me personally, and are able to advocate on my behalf. Even if tomorrow our Instagram got, we got locked out of our Instagram and we never had any of those followers ever again. Like that's something that I think you're creating with community, you're creating a moat around your brand. So you're not stuck out in the middle of the sea with <laughs> not, you go full Tom Hanks and start talking to Wilson. volleyball because yeah. you have no one else. Like that, that's not what you want in a brand and in your brand presence at all online. So being able to build those people around you and build those communities, whether it's as formal as a Slack community or as broad as just like an email list of like customers that you know, or just like nebulous networks that you can reach out to. Community does not have to be, I'm gonna create a Slack channel and do all of these little things and like everything down the list. It's a lot of times a lot more nebulous for people than that. And I guess as a starting point, I think it can be a little bit daunting for some founders or one-person marketing teams and startups to think, what is my community play? And they probably do naturally, as you say, go to that place, which is I need to launch a Slack channel. And then that comes with a whole host of challenges. Who's going to update it? What am I going to update it with? How regularly are we going to update it? How much time do I need to spend making sure people are talking to each other? How do I onboard the right people into the channel so it just doesn't become spam? As a starting point, this, is there something to be said around just taking part in existing community as a kind of a gateway to establishing your own? Is there anything you'd say to that? Especially as a startup. If you're trying to start 
from day one, I think one of the most important things you can do is finding those target people that have those communities in your industry already. So for us, we partnered really early with Snout School, which is a veterinary like continuing education. It's a very cute name, Um, but very specifically for women in veterinary. And we are, I talk to their founder literally every week now, and she's one of my really good friends at work. And she's helped us a ton in helping us build our presence, understand who the big players are and building a lot of those relationships. So it's creating and being part of her Facebook groups or being part of her Instagram lives or different things. That's helped us a lot and kind of build that brand when she already has 15,000 followers. And I have a dinky 1000 when we were first starting. And I was like, I tried so hard. When you're a startup, you don't have that brand affinity yet. So you have to align yourselves and hopefully with the right people, but you have to align yourselves with some of those people that do have more of those audiences and bring them into a community that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. It sounds like with your journey at Hound, you were in a fortunate position where the founders just got it from day one. They knew that community was how they were going to stand out from you know other competitors in the space. Oh. For people listening to this who maybe are are on that journey of building a company or about to start building a company, what are the kind of signals they should be looking for that making a play in community is the right move? How do you decide it's the right time to invest in community? I think specifically when you think about what traction you're getting. If you're not really hitting your numbers or if you're starting to get uh, stagnant numbers, like all of a sudden... You're not getting ads converting as well, or your cold call rates aren't that good, or sales stall even a little bit. It might be time to look inward and see, like, what are you doing to empower the people to love and talk about you? Because we're even seeing this more in employee advocacy in B2B, but people want to buy and trust people, uh, buy from people they trust. That's something that is like beat over our head in B2B. But we don't always give them opportunities to do that. We brand affinity can only be as good as the people that we have behind it. So if you're not highlighting and humanizing your brand, whether that's with your employees or customers or creating a more formal ambassador or contributor program, you'll start falling behind those competitors that are doing that. But on top of that, giving people ways to truly connect with your brand, it like has to be a two-way street. You can't just be like, here's my employee advocacy program. We're just going to sell and tell you all about how great it is, but you have to start creating spaces where you don't have to be overtly part of the conversation, but you're able to glean the insights from that. And that's where the true gold happens is even if your two customers are talking to each other in like a LinkedIn comment section or in a Slack channel that you happen to be a part of or something like that, you can then take that back and be like, that's a pain point. Maybe we can try to fix that. Maybe we can talk to that person, start working with them on that. And that's where community comes hand in hand with like customer marketing and all of that. It's really understanding that retention is the name of the game Mm. in B2B. And the ways you do that are having a brand and having a community and having a presence that those people want to stay with because they're not going to stay with you for the price. So you have to give them something better than that in B2B to make them stay and make them advocate to their CFO that, hey, it might be $10 a month more. I get it, but this is more valuable to me than those $10 in my budget. And that's where you have to start thinking about, like, how can I get to that point with my customers and with my people? 
You mentioned a contributor program. Talk to me a little bit more about that. What are you running around? Yeah, so currently we have two different contributor programs. One is more of a brand ambassador and the other one is actually a long form contributor program. So for the brand ambassadors, and we have 25 of them across Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Facebook groups. We, from those ambassadors, when we formally launched it, we formally launched it at the beginning of December, which is about five months ago now. And we've had literally thousands of job seeker signups to our platform since that formal launch. For each of those signups, we give those ambassadors $10. And additionally, we don't have any retainers and we like handpick those ambassadors, typically between having followers or like groups between 5,000 and 100,000 followers. And I know that sounds really small, but we handpick those people that have really good engagement, kind of fit our brand voice, that more positive vibe. And we actually, often they're the best people. I think that's an, that's a untapped market is a lot of times people try to go for those huge fish and get huge retainers and huge deals, but they miss out on the smaller people in those communities that you can grow and build with. And that's even the community plan itself is you're going to help lift up and build this creator with your people. And then they're often the most engaged. They try the hardest on their content. I have been sent like three different drafts of posts from our, this one creator, and she only has around 3000 followers, but she's in the top 10 of our referrals yeah, yeah. of a 25 person. And it's because she cares so much and she wants to partner with us and she cares so much about our vision. And that's really what you want to find. You don't want to find a million followers would be sick if we could yeah. land someone like that. Duh. I would obviously take that. But when we're a smaller brand with less affinity in the market, that makes much more sense for us to target these people and grow with them as opposed to being like, you don't know me, but what's a person who has 5 million followers? I'm going to shoot my shot. And then you get shot down and you lose what you could have had later on that way. Especially when you're looking at ambassadors or people to work with, it's really important to look at the engagement of their posts, especially other sponsored posts. Because a lot of times they'll get really good engagement or really good engagement. And then you look at their brand posts and they honestly are crap. Yeah. (laughs) And that's really what you want to know is, is this person going to spend the amount of time that I know that they spend cultivating their personal brands on these uh, sites? Are they going to spend that amount of time with my content? But then I'm interested coming from your perspective as someone who's for want of a better term employing these brand ambassadors do you then dig in with them and say look i've done my research your personal posts do phenomenally well history shows that your brand sponsored posts don't do too well is that because the brand was just like really hands-on in terms of directing what the message was going to be and how they wanted it conveyed and is that what's having an impact or how, what, what's typically the uh, the reasoning they give for, for poorer results on the brand sponsored posts it's almost exclusively that yeah I and that's so. what i think is as marketers we want to have a lot of control over the messaging we want to have a lot of control over the content but i think what the better thing to do is let these people be themselves That's what got them these big audiences. That's what got them this stuff is them being goofy, talking about that stuff or whatever on the internet. That's their whole persona, right? So putting them into a box and making them only be able to say certain things or only being able to post certain things, that takes the creativity and people, their audience can smell that. All of a sudden they're like, 
this seems weird. What we do is I just, I am like a documentation queen. Like literally my team, if they hear this podcast and listen to it, what's up y'all, but they will make fun of me and roll their eyes at this part is that I am ruthless in documenting everything and making sure everyone has all of the information that they need. That being said, I just created a resource in Notion for all of our ambassadors. It has a full FAQ page. It has a bunch of branding links and different things. So all of our different colors, if they end up wanting to use those, like that kind of stuff, as well as little talking points. And they're all very specifically in bullet points. Mm. It's here's some things that you can say, because I don't want them to go copy paste that and put it in their posts. I want them to be able to really talk about it. And I also do a 30 minute onboarding session with all of our ambassadors. And I just am like, what's your, what kind of is your level of knowing what Hound is? They talk to me a little bit about it. And I'm like, cool, I'm going to, I'm going to rant at you for 15 minutes. You can take notes or you cannot, but I just want you to be able to like really fully understand what we're going for here and feel the passion from me, Mm. as opposed to giving you a branding doc and being like, have fun. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times they're passionate in their posts and they're passionate in their personal brands. So why shouldn't they be passionate about the brands that they work with? Mm. And why shouldn't they understand fully what we're trying to do? Because that makes that post so much better. And some of our best performing posts, which is funny, is them just getting on like on their Instagram story, not even a normal post. They're on their Instagram story, just like being like, it's their first post too, a lot of times. And it's just them talking about Hound and like how they just got off the phone with me and like how it's a great company. And they'll just put a little link on their story while it's, they're going through and at least 20 signups a lot of the time. Really? And that's, that's what I think people miss out on. It's like the genuine, just like somebody getting in front of a camera and being like, you have to do this. Like that's the energy you want from your ambassadors. It reminds me of Bill Burr, the comedian. Yeah, yeah. He, his podcast, I don't listen to it anymore, but I used to listen to it quite quite a lot. And he used to do ad breaks and he would just read them like passive aggressively. Like uh, he would even say, I'm being forced to do this. This is what keeps the lights on. Here it is. And here's the message that this brand has paid me $10,000 to say. Anyone else but Bill Burr saying that kind of thing would probably make a marketing manager's head spin. But because it is just his style of delivering humor it just really worked. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall the first time that was listened to by a marketing manager who didn't know what to expect. I would have loved to have been in that room. What is one takeaway that a community manager listening to this episode could implement this week in order to improve the experience of their community members? I think it's truly something that we as community member or community managers and people that have talked about this a lot, something that's really hard to scale in community is genuine one-on-one connection. Mm. But I think that is the crux of what we want to do in community is bringing people together, getting them to connect with like-minded people or somebody that can help solve their problems or something that's hard for them right now. So a lot of times I'll start conversations, whether it's in our formal community or just one-on-one and like Instagram DMs, which honestly happens much more often than other things is what's one thing we can help you with? What's one thing that's like slowing you down and what can we do to help that? We actually, our CEO also gets in the Instagram DMs, which I think any social media manager is going to eye twitch about that, but he's actually super helpful. Andrew, what's up? If you're listening to this, you're fine. I love you. But 
he'll get into the DMs and somebody will be like asking questions or something. And there was actually someone today that was like, oh my God, I just want to tell you from that connection you made with me, I got a new job. Like I'm super excited. Thank you so much. I'm like moving back to Las Vegas. Like it was a really good experience. Like you guys rock. And that's from behind a brand account. We were still able to do that. I think that's something that we miss out on when we silo all of our areas so much. It's like when we silo marketing from community, from content, from Mm. demand gen is we miss out on these cross opportunities to be like, and listen, I'm not telling you to let your CEO go crazy in the DMs. (laughs) But what I am saying is if you have somebody who's talking in the DMs, maybe send that to your community manager, get on the phone with them real quick and be able to DM, uh, DM them back and forth the things that this person is asking or try to help people, even if it's not fully related to your product, to your job, to any of that. Being able to have that genuine one-to-one connection is also inclusive of your team. It's being able to really understand and be that person. As a community manager, you're that person for your community, right? You're the person that everyone goes to if they have questions or if they have something that needs to be resolved, they're going to go to a you first. And I think that's a branding thing that we need to do for community inside of our own companies is if somebody comes with a question in the Instagram DMs or in, in our chat support, somebody comes with a question that's not necessarily a support question, instead of punting that, as a support person, their first thought should be, yo, I'm going to send this to the community manager real quick, see what they think. Yeah. That's what we want to cultivate is not only an external community, but an internal community and be that kind of point for everything. I think marketing has been trying to do that really hard yeah. in companies recently, but I think community managers, that is their lifeblood. So we should start trying as community professionals, start trying to be that person in our own teams as well and in our own companies. I've got a final curveball question for you. Yes, love curveballs. Do you feel or do you believe that only extroverts can be community managers? 100% no. So I am not, actually. I know that's like shocking for some people. (laughs) I... So we just did an event in Austin and it was so funny because it was like the first real like in-person veterinary event I was at. And I didn't know a single person other than like the two community members that I've talked to quite a bit and my team. So I found myself doing what I typically do at big parties when I don't know people is just like sitting in the background or like giving myself a job. So we had a Polaroid camera. So I was just like going around taking pictures of people, like Mm. giving them like giving myself a role in that scenario. But when you get me like one-on-one or like in a very small group, like right now, I'm going to talk your ear off and make us record far too long. (laughs) And that's just because I think introverts a lot of time, that genuine one-to-one connection is more important to us than the broader connection outward. So I have a very small group of friends, but I am also very passionately, like I love them so much and I would love them to be here all the time. And honestly, just if I could live on a commune with them, just like in the middle of nowhere, I would, so I could see them all the time, but I also need my space. Mm. So something that community does as an introvert is that I'm able to build those one-on-one connections without getting tired and without it draining my energy because it gives me energy to talk to these people and make connections with them in a way that I wouldn't be able to do if I was a speaker talking to a 
group of people. Like I am not, I will never be, I, somebody's going to take this later on in life when I do become a CEO and be like, but I don't see myself being a CEO. Like I can't be that person that stands up in front of a group of people and talks like, that's just not really my bag. My bag is this, yeah. is being able to make those connections. So I think there is such a good opportunity for introverts to be able to build that energy in a way that they can build those genuine connections in a way that they can't in sales or they can't in marketing. Because a lot of times they are much more closely hold, held to a sales mm. and to revenue in a way that community is often supplemental to that in I guess I guess also, you know, in those two departments, the relationship is also somewhat fleeting, you know, yeah. in that there is a defined beginning and end, but community yeah. by its very definition is about fostering a long-term relationship between yeah. an individual and a brand. It's there to service those out-of-market customers who may not be ready to buy from you today, tomorrow, next year, but at some point in the future could be. And until that point, we will do our damnedest to deliver free, no-strings-attached value to make you better at your job. Um, and when you're ready, you can, you can come to us. And that requires that long-term commitment on the behalf of the community manager to, to be there. And that's some, that's where they thrive. That's where community managers, I think it's a big misconception that they have to be extroverts. Cause I think a lot of time those extroverts are better at those fleeting conversations. Mm. Whereas the best community managers I know are honestly super awkward in person like myself. And it's because they are so much better at creating those genuine connections as opposed to small talk. Yeah. Yeah. So you're giving them unbridled access to becoming best friends with every person on the internet. And that is what the best community managers love doing. What a beautiful note to end on. <laughs> Tell me, who should I interview next on B2B Better, Sarah? So the Postal team, I just want to say, are killing it right now. I love mm. them so much. Bridget Poker and Alyssa Claren. I always say their last names wrong, so I'm really sorry. Love you guys so much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but truly, they're doing some really cool creative stuff. Um, that I think should be highlighted. Excellent. Well, I've spoken a little bit with the Postal team before, Alyssa in particular. I'd love to get them both onto the podcast at some point. So I'll definitely hit them up. And finally, where can folks learn more about you? Online, as I used to be, but I do post a lot on Twitter. Yeah. Um, my handle is Sarah Ott Tweets, uh, my last name, and then, or my first last name, and then Tweets. And then you can find me on LinkedIn, just Sarah Ott. And of course, on the Hound socials, anything that's posted is either me. And if there's sassy comments, you can blame that on our CEO. <laughs> <laughs> and we're taking that one to the bank. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on to B2B Better. I will drop the links to your social profiles and those of Hound in the description of this episode. I've had so much fun on this one, genuinely, and my cheeks hurt because I've been laughing and smiling so much and I've been muting furiously. But you've been such, such a delight. Thank you for coming on appreciate you coming on to b2b better yeah thanks jason thanks for having me and that's it for this episode of b2b better if you enjoyed the interview go ahead and subscribe to my podcast leave a rating a comment a review or just share it on social media it'll really make my day every monday morning i send out a newsletter to b2b marketers all around the world on how to do better b2b marketing you can sign up to that via the link that i'm going to leave in the description of this episode or if you need a fix of b2b marketing content goodness right now you can head over to my website at www.jasonrbradwell.com see you next week